essentially what we're doing through POAP is building an on-chain record of meaningful contributions to these different projects. I'm Rudy Dogum, and this is Wholesome Crypto. Here, I speak with crypto experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs to find out what personally led them to the path of cryptocurrency. Today's guest is Colfax Selby, founder and CEO of GitPoApp, where GitHub contributors are awarded POAPs for their work. Welcome, Colfax. Thank you for joining me on the Wholesome Crypto Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Of course, Rudy. Thanks for having me. It's awesome to be here, too. I know. And there's so much about you that I would love to learn about. I know you're providing a lot of value into the community of cryptocurrency in general and especially in Ethereum. Um, but before we get into all of that, there is a long history behind you before crypto. And I want to know, you know, what was Colfax doing before even hearing about cryptocurrency? That's a great question. And yeah, thanks to you for having me. I'm excited to sort of share what I've been doing in crypto. And yeah, we'll start off uh, a little bit before that. I mean, I guess to really start off at the beginning, um, I grew up in California. Uh, my family is from Massachusetts. Though. You're, you live here. I forgot where exactly yep. do you live in Massachusetts? Yeah, I'm in Medford. So right. Nice. Right next awesome. to you. Yeah, I've always wanted to move to Boston. I finally did a few months ago. Um, I guess just outside of Boston. I'm in Somerville now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, grew up in California. Um, and yeah, ended up coming to school out in New York City. I really loved the Northeast because I went out there a lot growing up. And so I went to school in New York and studied computer science. And I actually originally was going to study uh, something around like financial engineering or industrial uh, engineering, but I had to take a CS course. What and was the... I ended up falling in love with it. Uh, okay. So you, were you always like into tech a little bit or was like finance and money like what you thought was the future and just how you were going to you know, attack your career. I was always pretty into engineering. And so I, and I thought like the financial world was interesting. Most of my classmates and stuff were into like sort of finance, I guess, being in New York. Um, yeah, but it never sense. really interested me. And I kind of had this inflection point where uh, it was, I think it was my first semester sophomore year where I had to take intro to econ and intro to CS. Mm-hmm. And they were both my toughest classes. And I hated every minute of intro to econ and I loved every minute of intro to CS. <laughs> <laughs> what was the difference? What was like the moment where you realized this isn't for me and CS is for me? I don't know. I just, I guess like fundamentally, I really like building things. Gotcha. And I just didn't really like as much like reasoning in the abstract about like economics and possible things like that. And it, the tangibleness of like actually building something for me was really appealing. Yeah. And like that's something I've also learned myself is the excitement of building. When you, when you create something yourself, it's a lot of like pride and joy into that. And again, it's tangible. You create code, you run it, you see it run on your computer and you can share it with people and they can give their opinions on it. So it's a lot of fun. Like growing creating and sharing i totally agree the idea of like creating something out of nothing is it's just like really cool um and then you can like and now like something's like useful and you can either use it or other people can use it find value in it mm-hmm. and so the idea of just kind of like creating value out of nothing to me has always uh, been super interesting in terms of like building products and whatnot yeah and then so now you've um realized you know cs is my transition like you're gonna you're gonna change your major into cs um you know what was your experience going through that route now like what what year were you in college when you decided to change over was that early on yeah that was my sophomore year i think i ended up thinking i wanted to change to cs but it's like i like to for a big decision like that i i don't want to just like jump right in i like to take pretty like sort of calculated risks in a sense or mm-hmm. like think things through so the next semester i loaded up on all the cs courses that i could to do a CS minor at the least, um, and then ended up loving it. So shortly after that, I changed my major. 
nice. and basically focused all on CS throughout the rest of rest of school. Wow. I mean, that's good. Yeah, I had like a few CS courses in my electrical engineering class, but I didn't love CS. I was more of a hardware guy. Um, yeah. But still, like, I, I definitely appreciate it. And I definitely appreciate people who work in that industry. Yeah. Uh, so after college, what was your next step? You were looking for a job and you wanted to work in CS or were you trying to like still have that, you know, internal business mindset where you wanted to make your own business somehow? So to be honest, um, it's kind of an interesting path, maybe a little non-standard. Uh, I also have a really deep passion for cooking mm. and cooking and CS don't really overlap, uh, <laughs> super well. Although like in some concepts, I've actually thought about a lot and the idea of like breaking down tasks into component parts and how can like these components like be put together to make like a larger system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there are actually some, some overlaps between cooking and CS, but, um, shortly after that, I sort of went through this struggle of like. I, I have this deep passion for cooking and I've, I've done a lot of sort of cooking on the side and like part-time jobs here and there, but okay. never really dove in fully. And so I went through this point of struggle where I was like, okay, so I'm graduating. Should I go get a job in CS or do I really want to cook for a living? Yeah. And so it was, uh, yeah, it was kind of a point of like really just like trying to think about what I want to do. Um, what was do, your first? Like, I guess with my life. What was your first job out of college, though? You, so, what was the place you worked so at? So, I got some advice from my family, and they they felt that since I had done a CS degree, it would make sense, to, like go get a CS degree. But then, if I didn't, or should go get a CS job, but then if I didn't like it, then I could go try cooking at some point later. But like, have sort of like a solid background in in uh, programming. So, I ended up graduating. I went to go work at Bloomberg wow. um, as a software engineer. Nice, it's a good company. Which I yeah, I really enjoyed Bloomberg. I've met a lot of great people there and had a lot of great mentors. Um, but so after about, I remember it was like my first year out of school working. That first year went by like this. And I was like, okay, I can sort of see how like the next like 30 years of my life yes. just like go by yeah. so quickly. That's the worst. Um, <laughs> and so that made me like really want to think intentionally about like how I spent my time and sort of like what my goals were. And I remember thinking, I really enjoyed my time at Bloomberg, but there's like this strong nag that I really want to pursue cooking more more deeply. And if I were to do it, it makes sense to do it earlier on in my life before I have like a family yeah, and a house and all this stuff. Yeah. And so after just one year at Bloomberg, I actually ended up uh, quitting and going to culinary school. Wow. Was there a special... Uh field in that industry like you're like, pursuing or was like baking or i don't i don't know the different uh sections of that so what Good were you question. Looking for? yeah there are a lot of subspecialties and everyone asks me like oh like what are you passionate about like savory food baking bread and i'm like all of it <laughs> like i like to eat <laughs> i like it all um i chose to specialize in french cooking because so the french originally like in the early 1900s there's this guy auguste escoffier who really took the time he wrote this book that sort of codified and like named every single size uh, size of like cut with vegetables all the pans oh, wow. everything like that so sort of created the structure around uh what modern kitchens are sort of the, the brigade system which is kind of like how kitchens are are structured in terms of like you have your chef and then you have your sous chef which is kind of like a leadership position below the mm-hmm. chef and then you have your lines so you have like cold appetizers hot appetizers meat and fish or sorry fish and then meat um, so I wanted to study French cuisine because like everyone calls it a saute pan. Why do they do that? Because that's sort of like what, uh, was written about and that became like the standard gotcha. for referring to things. 
So I went to the French Culinary Institute in New York um, and really wanted to, yeah, dive in and, and see. I mean, I went in with the intention of actually just like building the rest of my career in cooking. Um, and crypto actually gets pretty interestingly intertwined right yeah. about this time in my life as well. And you haven't heard of crypto at all at, the, at this point yet? At this point, there was a friend that I had in college. It was actually... So I first heard about Bitcoin from the bouncer at this one college bar that my <laughs> friends and I used to go to. He would always talk my ear off about like, oh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin this, Bitcoin that. And I just, it wasn't something that really piqued my interest at the time. So I'd like heard of it, but I never really dove into it. <laughs> I wonder where he is now. Like, is he just reaping up all the benefits from an early adopter? Or <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah, Colin, if you're watching this, uh, <laughs> reach out. I'm curious to, to talk to you about crypto now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But so now that... You heard it. You, so you heard it. Then you kind of just brushed it off. You kind of you didn't even go into it. Then um, you're uh, you know, fast forward. You're working in culinary. You're going to culinary school, learning learning as much as you can. Uh, what was the next step for you? What, what was the transition phase from culinary school to working in culinary, or did you just go right back into CS? Yeah, good question. So right about the time I was leaving Bloomberg to go to culinary school, I obviously had to like figure out the finances of it and like the, all these different variables around um, switching my career. Right at that time, a good, good friend of mine uh, named Alex, he was just pestering me, pestering me to check out Bitcoin and like learn about it. He's like, you got to like read about the technology. You'll find it really interesting. You should buy some Bitcoin. And like, I would go, you one of my best friends. So like, I would go hang out at his house all the time. He'd constantly yeah. tell me about it. And so I was like, Alex, like now is really not the right time. Like I'm quitting my job to go to culinary school. Um, no, no I money. don't have like a whole lot of extra money here. <laughs> um, but he finally convinced me to like sit down and learn about it. And then like, I had very little extra money on top of things. But like, all right, like I'll put like a small amount in, just like have some skin in the game and force myself to like really learn about it. Mm -hmm. And so I guess that was like my first real exposure and dive into crypto because that was probably around like 2014 or so okay um right. nice unfortunately i think bitcoin at that time was around like 600 dollars. uh yeah i think it was between two to 600 at that point yeah um, <laughs> crazy to think about that now wow <laughs> no kidding <laughs> unfortunately i didn't put in much money at all then yeah. at least <laughs> enough to like learn about it um but yeah so then that was like sort of a moment that brought crypto onto my radar but i was very focused on cooking at this time so I ended up going to culinary school here in New York. Uh, yeah, worked all sorts of cooking jobs around New York City and then ended up uh, being fortunate enough to get a job working for a chef that I really admire and respect nice. uh, out in Napa in Northern California. Oh, wow. Wait, so you moved back to California? I did, yeah. Oh, so wow. when I finished culinary school, I ended up moving back to California. Except this time, I'm from Southern California. This time I was back up in Northern California. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I mean, there's two different, like, I guess like the... I guess two different atmospheres, you know, like New York and California are just not very alike other than just crowded, but the weather is <laughs> different, people's attitudes are different, the whole atmosphere is a little different. So it's pretty wild to get exposure from both at exactly. different times of your life. Yeah, no kidding. I remember growing up in California, I liked it, but I always really enjoyed coming to the Northeast. So that's why I knew I wanted to come out here for school. Mm -hmm. And then being out here, I was like, okay, yeah, this is definitely where I want to settle down eventually up in Boston. But then, yeah, I could not pass up this job uh, to go cook um, at this restaurant, Bouchon, out in uh, out in Napa for the chef Thomas Keller, who had been like studying and like reading all these cookbooks and wow. everything for many years. So I went out there, but then, yeah, did the restaurant. 
I worked at the restaurant for a little while, ended up actually sort of hitting this point where I really miss dealing with like software and like building things and like the challenges that you face with software and the difference in those with cooking. Mm-hmm. And I also realized that like cooking in a restaurant took a lot of the things that I loved about cooking out of it, which is like family and like bringing together people that you love. And like, yeah, I feel like people underestimate that professional cooking is t- it's extremely time consuming to take all day and night, like prepping, setting up, cooking. And then cleaning yeah. and then prepping up for the next exactly. day. It's like you don't yeah. have any time for anything else other than cooking, kind of like crypto. You're just always thinking about that one subject. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually, I never thought about this. I left the restaurant so I could have more free time, and now I basically have less free time than I've ever had. <laughs> oh, my so God. Funny. So then you, um, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Like a lot of cooking is the joy of doing the act and like giving it to your friends and family watching watching them be very happy and excited when they eat your food like this morning i made my uh fiance some sweet potato pancakes and she was just ecstatic about it and i'm like yeah like enjoy it like i'm so happy you're enjoying it oh that's awesome yeah so like at the restaurant it basically took everything that i loved about cooking out of it and just left like the physical act of cooking mm-hmm. um and it's like i miss a lot of like birthdays and weddings and things like that so um, right around this time, I was also like having the same thoughts around like wanting to build more stuff. And like, I like to cook. And I think that's the reason why I like to cook. And I like to build software is like the idea of like creating something from like something that's like not very useful or like, say like a cut of beef brisket is like super tough. But then if you treat it properly, and like you uh, cook it like nice and low and slow, you can totally transform mm-hmm. um, the the meat. And yeah, same sort of concept of like, creating something out of nothing in a sense um i think translates a little bit yeah that's like one of my favorite times of like my favorite experiences of cooking is when i look in my fridge and i'm like all right i have a bunch of random things in here but i'm gonna make something i'm gonna figure it out and like you make some (laughs) amazing delicious meal like with just like random ingredients that you just had from a few days ago so it's like yeah it's a fun experience to see what you can make on top of your head too yeah i love it um, so yeah, right about that time, my, I just kept talking to this guy who was really obsessed with Bitcoin. And so I told him that I wanted to like work on a side project, um, sort of like write some code when I get home from the restaurant. My shift was from like, it was Friday through Tuesday, kind of like 2 PM to 2 AM. Wow, okay. Um, and, but to be honest, like at 2 AM when you get off, like you're just so wired, like it's you, I couldn't sleep. So normally we just like make a bonfire in my backyard and like sit and like have a few beers and hang out. Nice. And then finally I was like, I really want to like start working on something. So I was like, yeah, we should, we should build something. What do you want to build? And we're like, Oh, we should like build a little crypto trading bot. (laughs) That was yeah. first applications back in the day. I remember those. Exactly. So we wanted like analyze candles and like see if we can do some automated trading thing. It never ended up going anywhere, but that was kind (laughs) of like my taking a step back into software was also like crypto related. Um, and, uh, yeah, we built it and it worked, but like, I don't know, it, it, we never set it up to like actually trade live money. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, but yeah. it was it was a fun little project. Yeah, I mean, that's like the best way to learn too, because one of my first development, uh, crypto development experiences was creating the bot that I have for Telegram, Crypto Callback, where you just get the live prices of coins, just calls CoinGecko's API, and you can just type it in and it'll show you like, oh, here's the price of Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever it is. So that is so cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Are you, using, are you looking it up now? I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> yeah. Crypto callback. All right, amazing. There's crypto callback, crypto callback bot. So that's yeah. the bot and then there's the community. Yeah, the bot. Wow. 
yeah this is super cool thanks um but yeah so like as i was saying it's just like like you said it's fun just to create and learn and then as you're figuring figuring out what you love to do it's like you start to see what you want to actually contribute for the community how you how you actually want to provide versus just learning so you know you're building this spot and now you're kind of figuring out your groove and that you're kind of oh yeah i'm missing cs when did you um when did you convert back from culinary as a career to a passion project and now starting to more focus on crypto and development. Yeah, so there's been a few more steps in between. Oh, uh, <laughs> I can kind of go over them yeah. <laughs> pretty quickly. Around that same time, I, I ended up meeting some folks that were working on a food tech related project. So okay. sort of this guided cooking system where there's a burner and a pan that connects via Bluetooth. And so we there were temperatures and temperature sensors in the pan. So the burner could adjust automatically okay. to keep your pan at the right temperature. So the same way that you set your oven at 350, um, yep. your stovetop is like high, medium, and low. Imagine if your oven was high, medium, and low, you'd never yeah. be able to like bake cookies. And so <laughs> um, we, so I ended up joining this startup company because also like a bit of sort of, I guess, my personality and desires. I'm more entrepreneurial than like I want to, then rather than wanting to sort of spend my entire career at like a larger company. And so with that pan technology, I ended up joining their team. And with that pan technology, we built sort of this whole guided cooking system um, wow. where, the, where there's an app and like recipes and it would guide you through step-by-step and control the cookware. So that was a cool way for me to go back into tech, but still be like somewhat focused on food. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that for a couple of years and then met who's now my fiance. Well, we met in college, but got together with my now fiance, um, who's actually from Wellesley. So oh, wow. not too far from, from where you are. Uh, we decided we want to move back to New York. And so that startup launched uh, I was kind of ready for something new and we just packed up all our bags and uh, drove across the country and came back to New York. You drove from California to New York? We did. Yeah. Uh, I've never done that. It's a lot. <laughs> I don't like driving. It's too much. Uh, I, feel like I get bored. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was definitely long. We did it. We spaced it out over three weeks. Okay. And we actually had a couple weddings on the way. So like it was fun. That's and fun. There, there was like this, I cook, I still do um, the Aspen food and wine festival. Mm-hmm. every year so like i helped them do some of the prep for some of the cooking demos and things that's cool so that was like right in the middle of our trip too so we had some like fun stops we saw like some cousins and things like that um so you made a trip out of it that's fun yeah made a trip right. out of it um so yeah we drove across the country came back to new york i actually went back to bluebird to work for a few years um that's cool so you made yeah uh, you had friends there which is nice i had some friends there i really enjoyed working there and wanting to go back to tech i uh I figured I wanted to go back to a place that I knew was good. So um, went back to Bloomberg. But then while I was there, that's kind of where I started getting a little bit deeper into crypto. Um, I ended up moving in with one of my old friends from Bloomberg. Uh, name is Rohan. And he introduced me to his good friend, Jay, who's now my co-founder for Gitpot. Gotcha. Um, which we can talk about in a little bit. But yeah, while I was at Bloomberg, I focused mostly on enterprise data. So like, I don't know, just like large scale data. Mm-hmm. data feeds like piping a lot of the data that we have in the company out to other customers directly uh but there was a blockchain meetup group at the company That's awesome. and so i quickly found them and we would host uh like we had like an ethereum hackathon that we hosted what year was this around you? this was in 2017 so okay. right as the the bubble was coming up mm-hmm. is right when i moved back to new york and like started really diving in deeper nice it's a good time so i would I would say this was like the point where I, that, that was when I, early 2017 was when I first learned about Ethereum too, when I was at the cookware startup. 
And this was when I really like started diving in, not full time from a from like a career standpoint, but sort of like full time while I'm not at work. I start like, really thinking about <laughs> gotcha. crypto and uh, and uh, being a DJ. So Starting to, to consume you. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, at Bloomberg we did the blockchain meetup group, which was a lot of fun. We did a couple. Of, I would go to like meetups and hackathons outside. Um, sort of rode the whole wave of like 2017, 2018, mm-hmm. but wasn't quite ready to take the plunge like full time into crypto. And I and I also just really enjoyed my work that I was doing at Bloomberg. I thought it was valuable. So I wanted to stick around and do that and kind of keep crypto on the side. Um, and then work kind of like Bloomberg kind of just took over a lot of just like my mental energy. And I sort of teetered off. I kind of we entered a bear market. Um, it just like wasn't seeing as much about it, wasn't reading as much about what's going on in crypto. And fast forward a couple of years to like summer of 2020, but I wanted to go and actually, I was planning on leaving Bloomberg because I wanted to be able to just have more time to do things that I thought mm-hmm. um, were like primarily things that I thought were valuable. And I didn't want to have to be like building things for for other people and probably the eventual idea of starting a company, but not really sure what that would look like. Gotcha. Um, and I left Bloomberg, uh, took a couple months. That was kind of like, I left Bloomberg in uh, June of 2020. So it's kind of in the height of the uh, pandemic. Yeah. Um, it's recent. And I spent a couple months uh, doing some sort of like PPE distribution and things like that. Um, also just kind of taking a little bit of a break. And then I remember in like September, I was like, oh, I wonder like what's been developing on Ethereum. I should like go take a look. <laughs> and then my mind was Yeah, there's so like, much going on. DeFi and like what happened like with DeFi summer and everything that had been building. Um every like so much going on. It's hard to and keep so, up. You can't yeah, keep up. You really can't. And so that was like my real aha moment. That was like whatever the I just everyone makes fun of me. I haven't seen any movies. I just watched The Matrix a couple weeks ago. The blue yeah. or the red pill? The red pill. I think. Yeah, it's, it's the one that's the one you want to take if you want to escape the matrix. Okay, yeah. Whatever. I that was my <laughs> that was my my pill moment where my eyes were like totally open to crypto. I was like, all right, this is what I'm gonna focus on. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's like uh I'm surprised. I'm surprised I was um like DeFi and like all that stuff but like for me, like I think the ICO craze is what really opened me up. Like I knew about Bitcoin before and uh, um Ethereum before that, but I don't think I understood what Ethereum was trying to do until the ICO craze. And it's not like ICOs, like I fell in love with them or like I thought that was the bee's knees. I, I was very skeptical of a lot of projects, but it just more like the massive uh, value Ethereum contributes to a blockchain industry as a whole is what I was so impressed about. And that's crazy. Yeah, like now, like as you've seen, like as you said, in the DeFi world, it's, it's like happening all over again. Like the NFT world is happening all over again. Like yeah, there is so much to be built on top of this. And we haven't seen it all yet. And there's going to be things that are coming out probably, I don't know, next year, who knows, but like things that we even think about that's being, it's happening and it's going to become, it's going to become like, I don't know, I have like high hopes for Ethereum and I can't wait to see what else is being built. But so now that you're Me on, too. now that you're on this aha moment, you're finding out, wow, there's a whole new world out here. What's yeah. running through your head? So the, the big thing with DeFi as opposed to like ICOs is it seemed like a real world application that like everyday people would want to use sort mm-hmm. of like basic financial things, exchanges, lending, things like that. Whereas like ICOs were, were, it was a novel, it is a novel like instrument to do some things, but it's not like an everyday use case for just like average people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's why like DeFi kind of opened my eyes to that. Gotcha. And shortly thereafter, um, just like wanting to understand more about like the depth of the stack, 
I started diving into like what's going on with Ethereum infrastructure, diving in more to like proof of stake, which I'd been hearing about for many years, but yeah. I was like, did that actually ever happen? And like, no, it didn't yet. But <laughs> hey, wait a minute, the beacon chain's about to launch. And yeah. so I got super interested in staking and the infrastructure behind it. And I found this community called ETH Staker, which uh, Superfizz, I think, is the one who introduced us, right? Yep. Superfizz was on my show too. And he introduced, yeah, he talked about you highly and said that I had to have you on. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Very kind. He's an amazing guy. The rest of the ETH Staker team is awesome as well. Um, so I found ETH Staker. I saw that their, their sort of community guideline was being welcoming first and knowledgeable second, mm-hmm. which is kind of like an interesting guideline for a primarily knowledge-based community but it just makes so much sense and like sort of the vibe of like the e-staker community and just being like talk about wholesome crypto like just being so just like passionate about things and like wanting to be in community before like just like saying oh like this is what the information you need is like you're there for more than just to get information yeah and that's also the thing is like learning about crypto is it's kind of scary it's not easy to learn about it's really today it's still hard for me to explain it like that's I've been in the industry for a long time. I I have to think about the words that I use to explain to someone who's never heard about blockchain or Ethereum before. And I'm like, if you just like throw knowledge at them, it's not going to be useful. You have to welcome welcome them into a community. Like, hey, there's a lot to learn here. Don't worry. We're going to make sure you figure it out. This is a few things you can look at. And it's a slow progress. It's not something you can just ask someone and figure out over in one dinner conversation. It takes months years and some skin in the game to really understand what's going on so yeah i appreciate that from eth staker yeah it really does and like also people feel intimidated to ask questions that they might think are like simple or dumb and so if you can create a culture around like just being very welcoming like it's okay to ask any questions and and sort of like that i think like that was what really drew me to eth staker and um I wanted to learn how to set up my own node. I was like, oh, I'm going to go to eStaker to like learn. Yeah. And I fortunately had some ETH left over from like 2017. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, great. Again, didn't buy quite as much as I <laughs> as I might have wished, but yeah. at least I definitely had some skin in the game. I had enough ETH to set up a validator. I was like, this is pretty cool. So learned a lot from eStaker. Ended up setting up my validator on the Genesis depositor, which mm-hmm. was my goal. So I'm super nice. excited about that. And after that, I was like, well, like I learned so much from these people. Like I want to give back and like help out a little bit and so i reached out to superfizz i was like hey like i'm some random guy that like learned a lot (laughs) from your reddit uh happy like help out with anything if you need any help let me know and he responded he's like amazing like do you like trivia do you want to help us like host a trivia thing and i was like trivia sure like no problem (laughs) yeah opportunist (laughs) here exactly so i jumped on and uh helped them run like a trivia show and that was a lot of fun that was like in uh i guess last december so just a little over a year ago a lot has happened. Today. That's what's crazy about crypto is like, yeah, so much can happen to you so fast and so much knowledge is dropped on you. It's so fast. It's just insane. Seriously. Um, so yeah, I ended up getting more and more involved after the trivia show. Um, also doing some like sort of just like general research on the side with uh, crypto. I sort of had this like sort of three-step plan of like how I was going to try and like get involved in the crypto ecosystem mm-hmm. and try and add some value and like sort of figure out how do I like build a career like how do i like have a sustainable work life without having like a regular job so for me like the first step really was like yeah just like just be a sponge and learn and do a lot of research and get involved in the community um which that was basically what i've been doing for those couple of months and then the next step was figure out like what skills i need to uh add value 
And so I was, so I started like experimenting with like some solidity contracts and like did, I went to the virtual East Denver, um, nice. which was really awesome. Yeah. I'm going this and year. Nice. I'll be there too. Oh, we'll go together. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, next step is like sort of, yeah, figure out what skills I need to add value. And then the third step for me would be like, all right, now that I like have a pulse on like where things are going and like I have some skills that I can add value, like figure out what a useful application is to build and like build it. Um, and it became clear through some discussions with eStaker that like for staking, education is super helpful and it gets a certain amount of people from like not being able to stake to being able to stake. But there's still a pretty high technical bar to being able to stake, like you need mm -hmm. to be able to use the command line, you still need to be able to like update your node and do all these sorts of things, configure your operating system and whatnot. And so <clears throat> through different, a uh, couple different like conversations and, and things like that, it became clear that maybe it would be helpful to build more tooling around installing your node and staking. Yeah. And so I mentioned it to some of the eStaker folks, like I have a software background, like maybe I can help like build an installer that would help to automate the installation or like other tools like that. Um, and they were super receptive. And that kind of, <clears throat> I ended up sort of building an MVP sort of proof of concept of like an automated install installation GUI nice. for staking setups. I was like, hey, like, is this on the right track? And everybody thought it was like super cool. And I was like, wow, like all these like incredible serial community members think what I'm doing is valuable. It's <laughs> <is> pretty cool. <laughs> um, and sort of fast forward a few steps, but uh, ended up really focusing on building out, uh, yeah, staking tools. Ended up joining the eStaker core team as well. And we sort of built out a wing of eStaker that's focused on tool building, which we're calling okay. Stakehouse. Okay. Ah, okay. Okay. Makes sense. I've yeah. seen that. <laughs> S-T-A-K-E. Yeah. <laughs> Got a little fun play on words. Back to culinary a little bit. <laughs> uh, wow. Oh, so yeah. It is an amazing feeling to, to like contribute back and get such awesome response. And the thing is people forget like the crypto industry is huge, but the development, educational part of it, uh, community part of it is still really small. Like you can make friends pretty easily if you're like being contributive and valuable, not just talking about the price of a coin but yeah, if you're helping exactly. actually bring value you're going to be well received pretty quickly yeah there's sort of like two categories not to oversimplify but like there's sort of two categories of people that i've noticed in the crypto world the people that are primarily there to make money and the people that are primarily there to like add value and like what can this new technology and tool add to like the ecosystem mm -hmm. and obviously even for people in camp too like obviously we people need money to like exist yeah of course and, it's not like a bad thing to make money, but it's like, what's the primary focus of why you're here? And yeah. I feel really grateful that I found a nice pocket of a community um, that are, are people that are really focused on adding value, like Superfizz and the rest of the eStaker team, mm -hmm. um, and really wanting to like help and welcome people and sort of grow the community. So Yeah. And there's a lot of little projects that he's been having his hand in that's been awesome. And I know like Co-App is one of them and the whole NFT yeah. community is like, I think like for me, like... <laughs> It's pretty amazing what Poap is doing because yeah, NFTs are huge, but um, sometimes I still have a hard time finding true value to some NFT communities. Some are yeah. useful, some are valuable, but like uh, sometimes the Bitcoiners are right. Like they're saying, hey, these are just JPEGs that you're selling for a lot of money. Like it's yeah. cool and all, it's fun to like play around with it, but the valuations of them aren't real. And it's like, yeah, yeah they're not, but it's kind of like, how, how do you bring something to mainstream media if it's not going to be look at this jpeg 
now it's now worth over a million dollars. Isn't that crazy? Like no, no one's going to talk about it unless there's some shocking news to talk about it or have some type of clickbait clickbait article. Yeah. And it, I mean, for me, it's like it sucks. It's, it's got to be that way. But thanks to all that shenanigans, I've had a lot, a lot of people come out and reach to me, like a lot of friends and family, cousins saying, hey, how this NF, how's NFT worth a million dollars? Well, now it's my time to educate you what's really happening in the industry. So you learn how yeah. that's happening and you don't fall for like, TikTok influencers who are trying to scam you to buy some NFT. Exactly. So. I noticed the same. Like the NFT has brought a lot of adoption to crypto, which is good, but like the use case is so narrow of mm-hmm. what we can do with the technology. And even like of what people see in the news about NFTs, that's like maybe 2% of what we can do with NFTs. Yeah. Like the NFTs at its core are really like digital verifiable ownership over something. And right now it's being used for these like pixelated JPEGs and like, I don't know, other pieces of art, which I think there definitely is value in, but there's so much more you can do with it. And Poap, I think is a great example of a project that is more than just NFT for the sake of art, mm-hmm. but NFT for the sake of like representing an action that you've taken. Um, so I really love the Poap project. Yeah. And I love them too. It's like a lot of, it's a lot of fun too, just collecting them. Uh, yeah. I, I made one for like my wholesome crypto show, which was like, oh, look, you've attended the show. Like here's a Poap. It's fun. Uh, wait, do I get one? Oh, well, I'll make one for you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, a lot, it's just like, I was like just interested in learning how it works. That's again, yeah. how else are you going to learn unless you put some time and effort into it? Exactly. Um, so um, did you hear from Poap first from Superfiz, I'm guessing? Yeah, originally from Superfiz and the Eastaker team. Also, mm-hmm. Patricio, founder of Poap, was one of the core members of Eastaker. Gotcha. Um, and so got to know him too and sort of just like learning about his different applications. So talk about Poaps. When we started building tools for staking, a number of people reached out and wanted to help contribute. They're all open source. And I feel it's important that these staking tools are open source because the whole point is to lower the barrier to, to staking and everything should be free and open source to use. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't want... So one, we didn't really have like any funding to work on. It was just like me sort of on the side. Um, and or I guess... <laughs> I like to say I have like three side jobs because I have no real job. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun um, feeling though. It's a fun, yeah. that's how I work too sometimes. I just want to have so many different projects. <laughs> exactly. Um, so since we didn't have any funding, I like I wanted to figure out a way to show appreciation to people who contributed to the project. And I took a page out of Ethereum.org's book mm-hmm. where they actually distribute you a PO app if you make a contribution to one of their repos. I was like, oh, I should totally do that for the steakhouse projects. Yeah. And I just had like a spreadsheet where I'd have like, oh, like this Discord username made a contribution. I'll send them a Pell app for both like code contributions and testers of the of the software because I want to involve the the non-tech folks as well. So yeah, that's what we started doing. We did a number of Pell app related things for for eStaker, but that was like my first introduction to like using Pell apps as a form of recognition. Nice. Um, and then at this time, it's still a side project, you working in that industry. So what was the leap of faith for you to kind of go full time into crypto projects? Yeah, so good question. I was spending time. So I was spending basically all of my free time looking into crypto. And then on the side, I would do some consulting work to just help pay my bills. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Then I ended up finding a good friend of mine was working on a project that was crypto related. And so I started working on that with him. He hired me as a consultant to like help him build that. Nice. And so now at this point, I'm like pretty much full time crypto um, and doing like open source work on one side, East stakers, sort of like education work on the other side and then building um, this other sort of crypto like data storage project called Privy, uh with a friend of mine. And yeah, that was kind of like now I'm like fully immersed in the crypto space and just taking things yeah one step at a time and sort of seeing how things uh, evolve. One thing that I was super excited for since so all of this happened during COVID. So I'd never met any of my crypto friends in real life. <laughs> I'll be the first. Um, <laughs> exactly. So the first time that I got to actually meet some of these people um, like Buddha and Patricio from East Baker and a bunch of other people was at ECC. Okay. in paris um uh wow. last july i was like i've got to go to ecc and like just like meet some people in real life so um that was like yeah i guess full immersion point is like now in real life too meeting these people that's a good it's feeling like, it's a yeah. good feeling like just it seeing really it's like like your remote work is all fun like i like i love working remotely and stuff but yeah. once in a while it's kind of like nice to see the people you're working with and just oh you're real and kind of have that a stronger bond in what you're doing together yeah yeah 100 percent. like yeah it's zoom is so i much prefer having like an actual conversation like being on like a text-based like async like telegram or zoom or telegram or like discord although i'm on discord all the time <laughs> but there's still nothing like an in-person interaction like yeah. i'm super excited that you live uh nearby we can uh we can do that sometime <laughs> in person sweet i know me so too allowing yeah oh man and then so yeah you went to ETH uh, CC you're in Paris you meet some friends you're working so obviously discussion what can we do next how can we grow have fun party all that stuff so then <laughs> yeah. how, how do you um, grow into your your uh, current company that you founded now uh, Gitpo app yeah so a lot of the conversations actually happened in person at ECC uh, with like Patricio and Tomas and the pop crew and a bunch of other like open source people that we've been working with. Um, and like Buddha from East Staker and folks there was, so I, so meanwhile, yeah, this, I'm still working on these open source tools, helping build out the stakehouse community, um, distributing po apps to contributors. And I was like, man, like I'm so busy now. I have this spreadsheet. It's kind of annoying. I should build like a bot that'll help automate the issuance of POAPs to anybody who contributes to my GitHub project. And I'll just like spin this up, talk about building things that I value. It's like, oh, this would be useful. I'll make it open source. Maybe somebody will use it. Yeah. And then I was thinking like, oh, well, I mentioned that to Patricio. He's like, oh yeah, this is actually a pretty commonly requested feature for POAP. Like people want to issue, like Ethereum.org is doing it. They also do it uh, on Discord and they do some verification. But like it's a commonly requested feature to be able to issue POAPs to uh, GitHub contributors. Uh, and then so we started thinking about like, OK, well, what features like would really be valuable? It's more than just like some simple things like how maybe we can issue them historically. Based on, Vitalik did a, a talk on retroactive public goods funding at ECT. It was like, OK, well, let's maybe we can do like a retroactive POAP drop to people who contributed to these empathic projects, like going all the way back to the inception. <laughs> And also then thinking about essentially what we're doing through POAP is building an on-chain record of meaningful contributions to these different projects. So now that we have that record of like who's contributing on-chain, what applications did that enable? Gotcha. And so the idea sort of evolved from like, 
just a quick little automation script to like kind of an ecosystem of bridging off-chain contributions and achievements like on-chain mm-hmm. and then enabling a bunch of applications to be built on top of it. Wow. And for the users that don't know or aren't very familiar with PoApps, can you explain a little bit of how it works in a technical sense? Yeah, definitely. So PoApps, I guess just on the high level, are an NFT, NFT being like digital ownership over something. So a PoApp does have art associated with it, which is normally like very beautiful, but the primary focus of it is not sort of like the dollar value of the art, but how you get the PoApp. And mm-hmm. the, the PoApp is distributed to you um, if you take a particular action. So it stands for proof of attendance protocol. So it can be either attending a conference or even like attending a community call or really many different actions. Um, one of which that we're focused on is, uh, is software contributions. And so you get an NFT, this POAP that's sent to your wallet, but it represents you, an action that you did. So if you look back at the POAPs you hold, it kind of tells a story. Uh, sort of like bookmarks of your life, so to speak. Uh, it tells a story about like the different things that you've done. Uh, and it's like an amazing thing to have, especially in this type of industry, because there's, there's so much to do and so much to help out in. And like, it is hard to keep track of what I've done in the crypto industry. I don't, I don't know how much I've like, contributed at points or like, uh, especially for now, like doing these episodes, I'm like, oh, I want to like, you know, keep track of what I'm doing. Kind of want to keep a record. Right. Like it's fun. It's a fun <laughs> history and it's fun being involved. And I love how Poaps are like making that easy and fun. Uh, for everybody, like just put your ETH, your dot ETH in there, and it's, it's that simple. Yeah, exactly. Easy and fun is like a great way to describe it. Like I love collecting co-ops, <laughs> and I've actually been encouraged. Like I've gotten out of bed at like three in the morning to attend a call just because I knew they had a co-op. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's a little crazy. But yeah, it's like co-ops really can drive. Uh, yeah, people to want to do things, and also it's like a great way to record what you've done. Mm-hmm. So now that you're like. In the crypto industry, you're kind of figuring it out. It's consuming your life. Uh, what is your crypto pet peeve? That's a good question. I guess crypto pet peeve. I guess I don't. So obviously nobody knows everything. And I certainly say things that uh, possibly like I say things that could be wrong sometimes. I really try not to. One thing that's my pet peeve is like when people are sharing information that they don't really know about or could just be like totally wrong. Like, for example, talk about TikTok. My sister the other day was asking me, she's like, she saw some random TikTok and she's like, oh yeah, this TikTok video I saw said Ethereum is, what was it? I think it was something about proof of stake or like Ethereum's not, proof of stake is not on the roadmap of Ethereum for like six more years. And I'm like, it's not real. That's not true. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so I think my pet peeve is just like how much misinformation there is out there. Yeah. And like, I think it's driven a lot by people. A lot of the misinformation is possibly driven by people who are just like in it to make money. And that mm-hmm. really... That really bums me out. Yeah, same, man. It's like, it's kind of like devaluing devaluing crypto in general. Yeah. It's like back when, like, you know, like when Bitcoin was first being on, the, like, on mainstream media, mainstream news, it was all about, oh, it's providing drug trade and illegal trafficking and this and that. I'm like, whoa, it's like the internet's doing that. You're not going to yeah. shut, you're not going to shut down the whole internet because a few people are doing bad, like illegal transactions using crypto. It's, it's, no one's condoning it. No one likes it. It's not why I want it. It's not what I'm approving right. it for. But it's it's also a much bigger picture ahead of it. And it's like people just keep missing the bigger picture of crypto in general and Ethereum of what we're trying to build with it. And it's yeah. sad. It's like this This is like not, again, like you said before, it's like people who just want to make money off of it. So they'll talk down about any other currency as long as they pump their own bags. And right. It's, 
it's dangerous. Like I, I fell for things like that during the ICO craze, like yeah. buying projects that I thought were going to be the too. best and like, oh, he's going to, this coin's going to pump up so much next year. Like you should buy it now. I'm like, oh, sweet. Like, yeah, totally. And I just lose everything. I'm yeah. like, oh, great. I guess that's a tax yeah, write-off. Also, <laughs> I lost it all. It also like makes it harder, like a higher barrier to enter into crypto because it's like what is good information and what's not. Yeah. And then also for people to understand applications, like the the primary application what people read about in the news are the bad things. But mm-hmm. that's such a small subset of what's going on in crypto too. So it's just so challenging. That's why I love the fact that you're doing this podcast. Like, wholesome crypto like really telling the story about like the good stuff that's going on in crypto i love it so definitely keep it up thank you yeah and we need to hear more of the good stuff because there's so much good but it's hard to like push that agenda because no one cares about positive things anymore i don't know why but no one cares about the positive (laughs) stuff Um, so now great i mean like yeah so you found this company and how's that going for you now like what's your day-to-day look like and how do you kind of keep sane uh, living crypto 24 seven? Like what are you, what are like your hobbies outside of cooking too? Yeah. It's a good question. I mean, it's hard. Companies coming along well. We're hoping to launch the platform uh, at the end of next month. And we're going to be doing awesome. a, I guess, small alpha leak. We're going to be doing a uh, historical annual contributor co-op issuance to everybody who's contributed to about a dozen of the main open source projects on Ethereum. So like uh, Open Zeppelin, probably Hardhat, Web3, Ethereum.org, and a few others. Um, It's very busy leading up to that. We're building like crazy and trying to hire and like so much going on. I'm very grateful that Jay, my co-founder, joined me back sort of in October. Um, Similar aligned values for wanting to add value to the ecosystem. Like I was telling you earlier, the primary company value that we have, I guess the only one right now, is always wanting to add more value then we extract nice. and like always have that be like the primary driving force. But yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I'm, you're on Telegram and Discord. Like I, <laughs> I call it the Discord fire hose. <laughs> just like everything going on all the time. I was just having a conversation with my fiance about this last night about like, how do you manage being like available and capitalizing on like opportunities, it's hard. Like meeting people, but also like having a life outside of work and like not being at your computer 24 seven. And so I've tried to like bucket, like, all right, this is what I'm on. And then when I'm off, like I'm really off. But then if I'm off for a period of time, then all these things queue up. And then, and then now it's like, it's more intense. Like when I'm on, like trying to do things. So it's still trying to find the balance. I don't know. I'm going out of town this weekend. I'm trying to take Monday off. Um, uh, MLK day here in the U S so, uh, going out, uh, to upstate New York with some friends to try and take a break. But yeah, it's always a balance. Yeah, that's the thing I've learned too. It's like, I think I've learned that it's okay that I miss some things that are going on. Like, it's okay yeah. if I like miss out on some like crypto news. It's like, it's fine. Like I'll, I'll figure it out later. It's, I, it's, it's for me, it's like, it's hard to like, once I'm in it, it's hard to let go. Like I want to read and read yeah. and learn and read. But it's like, I don't know, for me, it's like if I am like half looking at it, it's not as valuable if yeah. I'm whole wholly into it or just waiting for it and letting it queue up I agree. it's also nice knowing that you're not the only one that feels like they can't keep up yeah like, i have to bring this discussion up yeah yeah having trouble so like at the beginning i was like oh maybe like i'm just an idiot and like i don't know anything and that's why like i can't keep up with everything that's how I feel like, too. nobody seems to have a handle on like keeping up with everything and so it's also nice knowing that like i'm not the only one that struggles with this and that's why it's so important to have a good group of friends, a good network of people who 
are able to aggregate different parts of the ecosystem exactly. and like you all talk about it together and share what you've learned versus yeah. trying to get it all yourself because you just can't. Yeah. On that note, I'm sure Superfizz probably offered you have many other friends, but if you ever have any questions about staking or if you uh, want to <clears throat> talk about that, just let, let me know. It's, I've spent a lot of time learning about it. So. I have a lot to learn because... Yeah, I've, I've only done like, I've only like read up on staking through Stakewise and Rocket Pool, and they made it pretty easy where you kind of just link your wallet to their uh, website and you still have full access to your own uh, funds, which is nice. And that's pretty much the most important thing to me is always having access yeah. to my funds. Um, but yeah, they made it pretty easy for anyone to get on with less than 32 Ethereum, which is also very nice. Yeah, seriously. Um, Super nice. So now for one of my last questions, uh, what is your favorite wholesome crypto moment? What, what event in your life, in the crypto life, kind of gave you a big smile and just said this is an awesome place to be? That's a good question. It's hard to pick one. You can pick more. Here's one. Yeah. <laughs> here's one that I'll talk about. Uh, there's something, uh, Superfizz, I don't know, he won't get mad at me for saying this. Um, do you, did you hear about or like know about the Stoner Cats project? Yeah, the, it was like some NFT. Yeah, yeah. With Mila Kunas and uh, Ashton Kutcher, and even yeah, um, Vitalik was like a supposed to be a voice actor for them. Yeah, exactly. And so we had a chat like with some of the East Baker crew. We're like, oh yeah, like we should go get some stunner casts like right when they launch. And uh, we all really wanted it. And you know how like gas works and gas spikes. So it's like, what should we set our gas value at? This and that. Anyway, so that night or morning or whenever it was. Uh, we were all in this chat and Superfizz really wanted a stoner cat. And so he set his gas. I don't know if it was a typo. It might have been, or maybe just set it super high, but he set it some ridiculously high number and ended up not even like, I, maybe it ran out of gas. I don't know. He ended up not even getting a stoner cat, but he ended up paying like multiple ETH, like in gas. And it was like, it was such a bummer. And like, he was super bummed about it. Like, you uh, know how it too. goes, but also like, that's like a huge mistake, you know? Um, but he, he took it like a champ and like, he was a really good sport about it. Um, and we ended up making like, he ended up really, we made like a poet for everyone who like got <laughs> wrecked in the stoner cast thing. Um, so he took it like a champ. So that's like a, a, a good way to like, um, react to something like that. But what really the wholesome part of it, and fortunately, like he'll be okay financially and things like that. The wholesome part of it was he was telling me about how, a few different like Ethereum community members sort of saw this publicly and just reach out to him and just be like, Hey man, like, are you okay? Like, that's a real, that's a real bummer that that happened. Like, wow. Um, are you doing okay? Are you, do you need some help? Like, are, are you like kind of like on a tear, so to speak? Like, do you need help managing your funds? Like we want to make sure you don't like ruin yourself financially wow. by doing this kind of stuff. So it was really cool to hear that there were different people that sort of saw that. And then their instinct was not to, like to make fun of them or like, anything like that was like to reach out and just like make sure he was doing okay i um, love this community it's, yeah, it's amazing me too i totally agree so i feel like that's one of my favorite wholesome moments like yeah just seeing when stuff happens like wh how the community reacts you know mm -hmm. and that's the thing it's like yeah. all public too so you see what's happening on the chain like it's it's there and it's like yeah there's no fooling it like it just it happened and it sucks yeah oh man well Exactly. Thank you so much, Colfax, for joining me today. It's a pleasure to talk to you, a pleasure to learn more about you, and I can't wait to see how GitPoap grows and how you grow. Thank you. Thank you, Rudy. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Um, excited to hang out with you in person sometime, too. And yeah, thanks for having me on the me show. Me, too. Me, too. See you, everyone.